This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field. Going back, Hernandez at the track right to the wall. Gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. Guerrero lifts one to left field and gone. Oh, Tani, that was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. You know, the reality is the A's are running out of time. It is what it is. And right now, when you look at the Oakland Athletics versus the other five teams, you got the Yankees, you got the Blue Jays, you got the Red Sox, you got the Mariners, you got the A's. You only have so many games left. And you're staring at a point to where if you're not winning, you're in big-time trouble. And the A's have lost three in a row. They've lost three in a row to teams that are under 500. And we talked about going into this road trip, you know, how are you going to do, do against Kansas City? How are you going to do against the Angels? These are not good teams. And can you, can, can you take care of these teams? Can you take care of your business? And game one for the A's and the bullpen, don't make it happen. But they're still in it. They still have an opportunity. It's still there. If you win and you go on a winning streak, you have a shot to be in the playoffs. Because nobody, Commander Cody, nobody's going, no no one's running away with this thing. Everybody is so streaky. You, I mean, Toronto got hot. Would you say they lost today, right? No, Already? they they won. They beat the Jays. They won today, or they beat the Rays. Sorry, the Jays beat the Rays today, and the Mariners and Red Sox are playing right now. MLB has them as losing. Uh, maybe. The... Let me update that to the. With it, today was what the fifteenth. Yeah, Jays won six three. Red Sox and Mariners are tied three three, going to the bottom of the sixth. Right now, the Jays lead the wild card by a half game over the Yankees. Yankees are going to play later today. But, yeah, everybody's still in play. Toronto, New York, Boston, Seattle, and Oakland are all still in play, even though the the A's have lost three in a row. It's crazy. I agree. And, uh, you know, I texted you last night about it, and the the bullpen struggles continue. If you go back to the series against the Giants – uh, where the uh, the meltdown kind of started for the bullpen. Since then, they're three and nine, 
with a 6.26 ERA, nine blown saves, and 17 home runs allowed. Um, that's not good. Now, that's actually not the worst ERA in baseball over that time. I think Baltimore has the A's beat in that span, but Baltimore also is on pace to lose 100 games this year where the A's are on pace to have a 500 record. So you need to get that straightened out, but I, I don't know what, what your plans are. Mike Fires made a rehab start last night. It didn't go, it didn't go that great. He didn't, I don't even think he went three innings. Um, so A.J. Puck pitched the other night. He started the game. He only went two innings. I think he only gave up one run, but I think he was mainly used as an opener. So if you're look, banking on guys coming up from AAA at the end of the season to help you, I don't think they're going to be there. So you gotta, you got to figure out this bullpen situation. With how many games left? 18? 18. And you, and you got the, the Reds, you know, Mariners, Mariners and uh, Red Sox are finishing their series today. The Jays and Rays already played, and the Yankees are playing the Orioles. So, remember, they went like 18-1 and one versus them a couple years ago. 18-1. and uh, one. <laughs> Do not, do not disparage the Orioles yeah, at I'm, all. I know. They've been helping the A's out a lot. I'm actually going to look and see what the they're The Orioles, they've helped, they've helped against the Yankees. They've helped against the, the Blue Jays. And as much as we were like, they, they can't win, they're not any good, they've been playing a lot better baseball. But really, it's all about you. What do you got? You got 18 games left to play. You have this road trip where you're, you're playing teams that are under 500, where these guys are making their reservations for the offseason. If you can't beat under 500 teams in the last month of the season, what are we talking about? If you can't take down the Kansas City Royals and you can't take down the Angels, what are we talking about? I mean, literally, you just lost to the Rangers again. And really, Commander, if you go back and you look at the schedule, it was that date in August where they beat Cleveland 17 to nothing. Since then, they haven't been very good. It's just a reality. Like that, when they had that big game in Cleveland, it was 17-0. And then they went to Texas and lost two out of three. They haven't been the same team since. Yeah, I'm pulling, I'm pulling up their schedule right now to look. I'm, obviously, I remember the 17 to nothing win. That win was on August 12th. So from August 13th on, they played a three-game set in Texas. They lost two of three. Then they lost three of four to the White Sox, two of three to the Giants. They were swept by the Mariners in two games. Two and two versus the Yankees. They won the series versus Detroit, swept by the Jays, won the White Sox series, lost the Texas series, and then now we're playing the Royals, and they already lost game one. Uh, I just looked, too, for the, uh, to see what the Orioles' record is against the teams in their division. Uh, they're 1-18 they're the, uh, the, the the Rays. They're 7-10 versus the Yankees, and Boston they're 4-9 against. So, and I think the Boston still plays them again. You know what, you know what the Orioles' record versus the A's is this year? Well, they beat us yeah. in Oakland. Three and three. So you split a series with a team that's going to lose 100 games. The A's record versus teams, I, I pulled it up. I have it, I had it the other day. Their record versus teams that are um, – they're, they're really good against teams that are really bad. But their record against teams that are really good is really oh, bad. against teams that are really good. Here, I have it right 500 here. 500 better. What's the right? It's like 29 and 44, something like that. It was – it's 20 – it was 28 – it's 28-44 versus teams 500 or greater. 49 and 23 versus teams that stink. So 500 or less. Yeah, they, they, the A's have not been good against teams that are good teams. 
I mean, there, there, there's going to be a couple things. I know we talk about it in the postgame show all the time, but there's going to be a couple indicators if the A's don't make the playoffs where you're going to say they didn't play well in division, they didn't play well against teams that were 500 or better. I mean, those two things alone. Because you look at what the Astros have done in division, you look at what the Mariners have done in division, and the Mariners, with a horrible run differential, still are over 500 in division. That's what you'll be looking at with the athletics. And it's sad. Well, not only that, the Seattle's record versus teams that are over 500. Seattle's uh, 37 and 36 versus teams that are over 500 this year. So they're actually pretty good against teams that are good. Uh, they're a very good. They're a very good home team. Well, I wouldn't call that good. They're five hundred. Uh, essentially, uh, the the uh, the Mariners' record versus the AL West this year, where the A's are thirty and thirty, Mariners are thirty-seven and twenty-six, and uh, Houston, who you mentioned, is uh, they're only a cool forty-two and twenty-two versus the AL West this year. Yeah, and, and what are we in division? Uh, thirty and thirty, a five hundred team. Yeah, I mean it's just it's, but you got eighteen games left. What are you going to do in these next 18 games? Can you find yourself? Can you win? Can you be that team that goes on a run? Because it's all in front of you. You've got two bad teams for two straight series, and then you take on the teams that are now ahead of you. You've got the Mariners. You've got the Astros. Not once, but you've got them both twice what are you going to do with it so if, if, if you say you know destiny is in your own hands it it kind of is because you've got the mariners and you've got the astros in front of you you got basically almost two weeks of playing these guys what are you going to do about it but you've got to beat these teams that are not good now to, to give you that opportunity. I mean, you're taking on the Royals and the Angels. These are not great teams. Yeah, and but, but you have to beat them. And this is a Royals team. Now, Mike Miner was supposed to start tonight. Uh, I don't, do we call him A's legend, Mike Miner, who's only here for about a month? Uh, former A, Mike Miner, was supposed to start tonight, but he's on the injured list now today. So uh, they have a different starter, uh, the Royals do today. So it's not going to be Mike Miner. Um, no Matt Chapman in the lineup for the third straight day for the A. So you want to see how they can respond there. But they scored seven runs in the first couple innings yesterday. Or six runs in the first, what? They had a six-run lead yesterday, and they blew it again. That was their second time this year, in the last month, actually the last few weeks, that they've blown a six-run lead. The other one, obviously, was against Toronto. But still, you you can't lose these games to the Royals, and then you got to play the Angels this week. Now, maybe you're catching a break with, Houston next week or next weekend, but I don't know. They they just put Michael Brantley on the 10-day injured list, but who knows? He'll be back against the A's probably. And Jake Odorizzi's on the 10-day injured list as well. But you can't look that far ahead. you got to win these games in front of you. And I, I'm not saying they're looking ahead because Bob Melvin said last night they're still grinding. You're only three and a half games out. That's It's not like the, it's an insurmountable amount. I mean, you could be the Padres where you were supposed to win the World Series and you're not even in the wild card picture anymore. Three and a half games out. With 18 to play is really hard. Oh, well, especially when the teams are heavier and we're playing the Orioles the rest of the way. I mean, it's it becomes it, it becomes the math. Like you start like three and a half with 18. 
I mean, what are they in division right now where we were talking about division? Like, can that be? I mean, it's still possible because you have six games against the Astros. Uh, like I said, the A's are 30 and 30 in the ALS this year. So our fair 500 team. So you start looking at your seven games back in the West. And you've got 18 to play. You have to start doing historic things to be able to change that. All right, coming up next, our buddy Shooty Babbitt is going to join us right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend for my favorite golf course in the Bay Area, Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose, Cinnabar Hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in Silicon Valley. Come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant, plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views. Cinnabar Hills is far more than a golf course. One of the premier places in the Bay Area to host weddings and any type of events. There's no golf experience like Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. We got to ask Shooty about the war room in the draft. Because if you've heard that commercial, it's hilarious. He's got an ugly girlfriend. What does that mean? It means he's got no confidence. Like, what? <laughs> I mean, you're not going to draft a guy? I mean, that is unbelievable. The great Shooty Babbitt is with us here on A's Cast Live. Shooty, how are you? County, County. Fantastic, my man. How you doing today? You know, we were just talking about uh, Moneyball and the movie and the war room where they're talking about drafting a guy and they go, he's got an ugly girlfriend. Well, what does that mean? It means he has no confidence. What are like the craziest things you've ever heard in a draft room? Well, that's funny that you would have that analogy. Um, I don't know the funniest thing that I've heard in the draft room, but when you start talking about um, drafting the guy and he has an ugly girlfriend right away, for me as a scout, when I was scouting amateur and college kids, that would be the red flag because typically guys that had game and had skill had the best-looking girlfriend on the team. And if I wanted any kind of information about, you know, this assignable guy, does he want to play professional baseball, you know, part of my gathering information, I'd go find the prettiest girl on the stands and typically she belonged to the good player on the team. So, yeah, there is some issues there for sure. (laughs) (laughs) You know what's so interesting about your career is that you have spent your career evaluating human beings. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. Like, you have to evaluate whether it's been – Guys in Major League Baseball, guys in Minor League Baseball, amateurs. Just talk about your career and what that has been like. You are base, you're basically evaluating people. Well, I guess that's part of the uh, stamp you give being an OG. Uh, you, you've been somewhere. You've seen things. You've learned stuff. You've watched things materialize. Uh, it's like intuition. It's like a, a female. Uh, If you don't want something to be heard when you're talking, don't even talk about it whispering in a building because they can hear all the way around the corner. I think it's just something. It's an intuition. It's a woman thing, man. So as a scout, you know, you, 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 uh, when I first started, you know, an old scout told me, might've been Gary Hughes. He said, the best tools that you have are your eyes and your ears. As long as you don't go blind and you keep your ears open and you keep your mouth shut and just watch, you have an opportunity to do well in this game. 
so when it was time for me to talk and ask questions about verifying some of the things that I watched, uh, that made it easy for me. But after a while, when you see something and you know what works and what doesn't, like a swing with angle with a small guy trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark instead of learning how to get on top of that ball and move it and working around the field, you know that's not going to work at the highest level in the world. I don't care who you are. Um, you look at Cody Bellinger, a guy that broke on the scene with one of the biggest, wildest, uh, loosest. Uh, you're talking about angle on a swing. I mean, this guy was doing it in a way that nobody ever has. But when you see guys get to the level at this big league level where there is no league bigger than this one here, they make adjustments. And they find out how, because they get paid to get you out, you think they're going to sit there and let you just continue to clown them and clobber them the way that he was. No, this dude is old for his last. I don't know. And he can't even get in the lineup right now. So um, for me as a player, um, get an opportunity. I thought I was pretty good. Uh, but boy, oh boy, this is a game of guys that are great county. You get around guys that you say, man, these guys are different. Uh, so for me to be able to compete against those guys when I thought I was a pretty good player, to see what greatness looks like, I understand what it takes. I understand the, the sacrifice, the skills, the tools, the wherewithal, uh, the fortitude. Uh, they're the best on the planet. So uh, it's been so great for me to do this for 27 years because there have been times that because I looked at a guy, I could look at him in his eye. I could look at the way that he went about his business. I could tell if he really wanted it, if he was a tough guy or not. But there's been times that I've been wrong about that guy because some of the most quiet guys are some of the most dangerous guys. So you have to be careful of being one way in your decisions of making uh, choices on guys. You've got to do your homework, man. You know, I, I think about the other night, uh, the commander and I went out to uh, San Jose Muni to watch the San Jose Giants against the Stockton Ports. And the last couple guys that came in for the San Jose Giants, they were all pumping 99, 98. When did you start seeing the difference in velocity in the game with these younger players? <laughs> yeah, it's funny you say that. I'm in the bushes right now. I won't say where I am. But I saw a 6'9 guy last night throwing 97 to 101. And he got shot out the off for a 3-1 loss on a uh, below-average slider. And I'm like, I was just blown away. I was ready to run on the field and tackle the, the, the catcher uh, and find out who in the heck is calling this game, man. But it was just a reflection that 96-97 is just 96-97. and the approach that I take in life and that I talk to young people about, you can't overpower life. And just like in this game, you cannot overpower this game because after you've seen it enough, if you're good and the ones that are great, they make you pay for it. I've watched Marcus Simeon turn 97, 98 around for the last 10 years, you know, because this is a guy that has good hands. He makes adjustments. He understands it. That's what good players do. Uh, we watched Black Guerrero, uh, just play a game in right field for three straight games until he knew he was going to Yankee Stadium where he's going to be playing in a short sport. So everything that he did leading up into that series against the Yankees, it became easy for him to hit homers in Yankee Stadium. That's what the great ones do. They make adjustments. So what you see now, guys coming to games on 96-97, but they don't have a legit out pitch. They don't have trickeration in their game. Because if you can't overpower them, you better trick them. You better get them off balance. You better have that go-to move 
just like that go-to pitch. So to answer your question, I guess it's kind of been, uh, since we live in this era of launch angle, pitch at the top of the zone, uh, high spin rate. If you can pitch at the top of the zone with a high spin rate, you know, guys can't catch up to it. Uh, and you've got all these different people teaching guys how to throw hard. But I would like to see more guys to teach guys how to pitch uh, opposed to how to throw the ball harder. So uh, it's Tommy John surgery. Have you ever – Tommy John, I mean, my God. I mean, are we just going to keep letting guys blow their arm out because they're huffing and puffing and we don't know who they are um, in a couple of years? So I, I, I translate all the overabundance of emphasis on power right along with all the abundance of arm injury. So I'm not that smart. I didn't go to college. Um, I'm a baseball man to the bone. Uh, so that you want to talk about sliders and breakup change-ups and double plays and relays, man, I'm your guy. But when we start talking about what you tell me makes sense out of – continuing to teach guys how to throw hard and blow their arms out. Um, I, I'm baffled about that one, bro. What is the key then when you think about pitching where the ball's juiced, strikes on smaller, like everything is geared towards offense. And I guess as a former pitcher, that's, such, you know, I, I view everybody's got an arm guard and a hand pad and they got a guard on their ankle. I mean, everything to me is geared towards offense. We're worried about guys and substances that help them control the ball better. So now we're checking pitchers for spider tack and sunscreen and all this kind of stuff. Everything in our game is geared towards offense. What do you have to do if you don't throw 98? How do you compete? Well, first of all, I'm not going to just sit up here and start giving pitchers props since we are on a radio show and I'm not working right now. I, I never liked pitchers my whole life. I just started liking you and Dave Stewart to tell you the truth. So <laughs> I think I've given you too much credit all along. I mean, Gene Manese, we got hitters now. They they throw the ball right down the middle. They talk about working counts and, and, and getting walks and stuff. Right away, you get a pitch and advantage by being behind in the count 0-1. I, I, I just find that hard to believe because if you look at the numbers and you look at what the results are when guys swing at first pitch strikes in 0-0 count and 1-0 count or 2-0 count, the numbers are pretty good opposed to being in the, behind in the count. I started scouting, thank goodness, uh, in 1994 um, with the Atlanta Braves. And I was fortunate enough to watch Greg Maddox, uh, Tom Glavin, uh, uh, John Smoltz, two of the most dynamic pitchers um, in, in our history. And Greg Maddox won 15 consecutive gold gloves and I don't know how many Cy Youngs and yeah. won 15 games in these years. And he never threw harder than 92. Uh, he was as efficacious as you could be. And if I was running anything, it would be class every week for one hour at the facility with all my pitchers, and we're going to watch film of Greg Maddox. We're going to watch him repeat. We're going to watch the finger pressure. We're going to watch how he knew if a guy made contact, he would be in position to make the play because if he swung at it and hit it, he would have to hit it. This guy, I don't even think he ever iced his arm. I think he sweated more dodging fans for autographs than he did on the mound pitching. So it's an art. I think you can teach a guy how to be an artist if he's got it in his penmanship. But when you start getting guys to throw harder, what they become are throwers opposed to pitchers. And what they typically do is make a lot of mistakes because they're throwing and they're not pitching. So 
think to counteract all this, I don't care about launch angle. I don't care about all this stuff. I don't care about them shifting. Uh, as a hitter, we were taught to hit them where they're not. Today's day, a hit for a right-handed hitter is through that three-four hole. It's not up the middle anymore. I mean, so it's easier to hit the ball late in the hole than it is to hit it up the middle. You have to make adjustments. This is a game. I think the reason why you see so much systematic stuff is because people are copycats. There are a lot of people. How in the heck can a pitcher not get a hitter out if he does if he knows what he's doing already at the plate? I mean, really? So everybody does the same thing. Everybody has the same plan. I think individuality is great. I think that's why those guys stand out because they're different. Uh, so I think we've got away from a lot of that. You know, I don't know, Tony. I don't want to sound like an old conundrum. No, no, you know, no, you're uh, right. It's a game. You play the game to win. How do you win? If I got to dump the ball off to the running back and he runs at 15 yards, I'm going to do it. It's a game. You play to win. Come on, it, man. It, it, it's like that's the name of the game. When, when we talk that's the name about, of the game. You know, Bip Roberts, the guy that you work with at NBC Sports California, Bip's playing with Tony Gwynn and Roberto Alomar. Those dudes aren't striking out three times. That doesn't no, happen. No, They're putting the ball in. Yeah. But you're going to shift against Tony Gwynn? Bob Melvin said if you shifted against Ichiro, he'd hit 800. Hey, hey Tony, nothing from my understanding and comprehension in life is good at striking out other than bowling. When do you get rewarded for striking out? I mean, it used to be a shame to walk to the dugout when the stuff is on the line and your teammates are expecting for you to put the ball in play and you strike out and you got to go and face those guys? You know what I mean? I mean, there's a, a level of pride. You know, it's one thing of battling and, and extending it back and following pitches off and the pitcher's just better than you and it gets you, okay? But to go up there and whack, whack, whack and have an unproductive, uh, unprofessional, non-quality at bat and, hum, 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 and go over there and pull your hair back and, and make sure that I'm looking good for the camera. Nah, nah, man. That, you know, there was a time that guys would charge you for that. You're messing with their money. You know, they can't take care of their family. You know, you're hitting seven for a reason. You know, you don't have to worry about the guys hitting one, two, three, four. You know, they handling that business. That's why they're up there. But if you're hitting six, seven, eight, nine, you better get him over. You better get him in. You better bunt him over. You better do whatever you can with them scraps on the plate. You know, because them carriers, they take care of all of that stuff there, bro. So that's like the green and gold right now. Boy, we got to turn into some scrappers. We all got to be contributors. We all got to stack up and get every bit of pebble that we can out there, man. Because, man, woo, you know, what's great about it is that it's 162 game season, and those guys know it better than anybody. And they understand there's time left, there's games left. You can't, you know, you lose one, you got to flush it until you're mathematically uh, eliminated. They understand that, and I would never um, uh, judge the way they go about it because they're better than anybody that's ever done it. But us as fans, you know, us as people that work in the game, us people that live day by day and game by game, man, this is slow death, man. You know, I, man, I'm about to go get me some of these Bernie and some of these barbecue right now, but I ain't gonna talk about this game no more because I might lose my appetite. <laughs> hey, <laughs> we, you, we gotta hey, burn. <laughs> hey, you know I live yeah. it every day, man. I live it every oh, yeah. every day. And you know what? The great thing about 162 <laughs> games is you get exposed, and you, you you see the you see your strengths, you see your weaknesses. Everything is shown. Everything. But now with the A's, there's 18 games left. 
No matter what your strengths, your weak, it, it, it doesn't matter, Shooty. It's like you got 18 games. If you want to man up and make it to the playoffs and be in this tournament to win the greatest championship there is, the World Series, you got 18 games. Who are you as a man, and how bad do you want it? Look here, if you're there, you're there to ride or die, bro. Ain't nobody else coming through the door. There's no more help. There's no call-up. There's no prospect down there that's going to change the world. You know, this is a team. They talk about that clubhouse and how tight these guys are. I understand it, man. You know, I'm a scout. I look at it. I evaluate guys. I know how much that bullpen has been taxed. I understand how much they've been used. I mean, you've got guys that are doing things that if they were on other clubs, they wouldn't be asked to do, do that. I mean, but that is the advantage of being in Oakland. This is the land of opportunity. This is a place that gives you an opportunity to solidify your career and even fortify it, if you will. But if you're here, you got to find a way to get it done because nobody feels sorry for you. You know, this is the big leagues, bro. So uh, these guys are capable. You know, they've done it. They've shown it just as quickly. They've lost six in a row. They've won 12 in a row. And everybody is dealing with the same thing. Everybody's tired. Everybody's got some bumps and bruises. But you know what? If you're on the roster, you get an opportunity. There's an expectation level for you to just live the role that you define. So, man, it's the great thing about it is that we're still in it. There are teams right now that are rebuilding and planning for next year, man. You know, and the one thing that you want to be is in it. Until they say you're mathematically eliminated, bro, looky here. Scrap that bad boy and get ready. We need to win every single day. But let's win this first one tonight. Yeah, I, I love it. When no one feels sorry. You think anyone's feeling sorry for Tom Brady at 44 years old? Come on, it's a lot of haterade being poured around the world, man. <laughs> you think you think they're feeling sorry for Tom? Hey, Tom Brady's 44. You think they're feeling sorry for him? Hell no. It's a game, man. Let's go out and win. Well, you know how many handicappers are uh, teed off at your boy um, Aaron Rodgers today? I mean, you know, he played like he was still, you know, on vacation or something, man. I mean, it's like Aaron Rodgers is almost a guarantee. Uh, so, but ain't nobody feeling sorry for him not getting the contract he wanted and all this kind of stuff, man. Come on, man. Just saying, bro. Uh, <laughs> I'm a fan just like, like everybody else. So, But, uh, man, look, it, it is great to be in it. I'm just thankful that, you know, in the world today, we're in a place where we can't talk about baseball and not have to worry about some of the things other people around the country are. Um, it's sad. Um, praying for them folks. Uh, you know, I hate to get too happy when I know there's people that can't find joy at all. So I don't, uh, I don't forget those type of things, man. But Tony, I'm thankful every time you have me on the show, man, because you get me a little fired up. And uh, you know how I feel about this green and gold, man. Shooting, man. Hey, hey, let's end on this. Um, yeah. When when you look at baseball players at all levels not playing because of COVID, it's just it's a reality. Like high school, college, minor leagues. Do you think this is going to affect our game two, three years from now, or do you think we'll be okay? I think we'll be okay as far as the game is concerned because we have a plethora of guys, kids that love the game, and they continue to dream, and you'll have to do a whole lot to take the uniform. I mean, it's just like everything else. We're going to find, have to find out what the normal is and continue on. I think Major League Baseball is doing as much as they could do for us to even have uh, baseball and to have fans in the stadium. Uh, it makes me feel like, uh, you know, I, I have some trust in the future, man. But the kids, the college kids, the high school kids, I was talking to a dad last night, man, and his son is in college and he's 22 years old and he's just mixed up. 
you know, because of the opportunities and, and I'm not getting the chances. And, and I'm just trying to get him to understand that there are a zillion young men in the same situation and worse, man. But, you know, through, through confidence, through prayer, through whatever you believe in to get you where you're trying to go, just stay faithful and loyal to it, man, and keep pushing, keep working as hard as you can and let the results speak for themselves. You know, a wise man once told me, a young wise man said, just put your head down and, and, and let your work speak for itself. Well, we got a lot of golf to play in the off season, my friend. Ooh, I'm ready, man. It's been a grind, but a great grind this year because I've been thankful to get back in the trenches, man, because we were off last year. And uh, so there's nowhere in the world I could complain about anything. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Tony, for sure. Anytime I can get you in the bushes, that's all that matters. <laughs> no doubt, my friend. No doubt. No doubt. Take care. Be Have safe. Thanks, Tony. Take care, bro. The great Shooty Babbitt. I mean, literally one of the finest man, uh, men I know. I mean, Shooty Babbitt is really a – he's incredible. He's an incredible person. And has been very good to us over the years, by the way, Commander Coder. So what, what do we got? What, uh, do we have time for, for Feldy? Yeah, we'll have time. We'll just have to end the show right after we're done with Feldy, but we'll have time to play him. So we are doing a top ten. It's for A's cast, but we're playing it on A's cast live. Top 10 what? Top 10 most dominant strikeout seasons by Oakland A's pitchers. And it's going gonna, it's gonna, to gonna, kind of shock you, doesn't it? Yeah, there's some guys on there that are interesting. You're like, what? That guy? Yeah. So it's like 20, almost 25 minutes. So as soon as we get it, we'll be out. Of, we'll be over around 401, and then we'll, we'll be out of here. All right. You're, you want to do it right now? Yeah. Top strikeout seasons in the history of the Oakland A's with a great David Feldman. A's historian. Feldy, it's great to have you on once again as our A's historian. We're talking about the best strikeout pitchers in the history of the Oakland Athletics. Yeah, we're talking about dominant strikeout seasons. As we know, strikeouts are more prevalent than they've ever been. But in the history of the Oakland A's, there have been some tremendous years for pitchers when it comes to strikeouts. All right, who is your honorable mention? So we're going to go the opposite way for the honorable mention. These are the worst strikeout seasons. Uh, I'm going to start with Mike Morgan. Mike Morgan, who was the A's first-round pick in 1978, right out of high school in Las Vegas. Five days after he gets drafted, he's making his major league debut. Charlie Finley said, let's get him up here. Hey, he literally went from the prom to major league baseball. Prom to major league baseball. I mean, it's unbelievable. And he makes his major league debut. He actually pitches a complete game against the Orioles. Gives up 10 hits and three runs, but strikes out nobody. And he makes three starts in 1978, 12 and a third inning, faced 60 batters, struck out nobody. Uh, and now they start worrying that Mike Morgan's going to be a bust. He's 18 years old. He's 18 years old. He's pitching against men. Uh, he made a couple more appearances in 79. Um, didn't pitch in the majors in 80, and by that time, Billy Martin traded Mike Morgan to the Yankees for Mike Stanley. And Mike Morgan went on to have a really long career in the majors. He pitched until 2002 when he was 42 years old. He even won a D-back, uh, won a World Series with the D-backs. Bob Melvin was a bench coach in 2001. I mean, Mike Morgan, starting at 18 and then lasting until you're 42 and having a great career, but that first year, those first three starts, no strikeouts. It, it really, like, people don't understand, and they should look at it like, this guy literally left high school and immediately was in the big leagues. Like, yeah. that is, that it, it wasn't fair to him. 
It, it, I mean, you go back and look at that. It's crazy. It is. You know, the Rangers did it with David Clyde in 74. It didn't work out. The A's did it not only with Mike Morgan in 78, also Tim Conroy in 78, who was another first-round pick. Two weeks later, after Morgan, he goes right to the big leagues and makes his major league debut. And Conroy, who, and credit to him, worked his way back up to being a major league pitcher in the early 80s, but did not have the career that he could have had if he had actual seasoning in the minors. All right, who else you got? So a couple other guys who just didn't strike out anybody. Uh, Rick Langford, we all know the complete games, long career, but in 83, faced 112 batters, struck out only two of them. You talk about pitching to contact, that's pitching to contact. And then the the great Tommy John in 1985, when he came to the A's midseason, he's already 41 years old, uh, he faced 221 batters with the A's, and he struck out only eight. He should be a Hall of Famer, by the way. You look at his career, and it, it does match up. And and I used to be kind of against the longevity claims that a lot of guys had. But you start watching baseball long enough, now as I've gotten older, how hard it is to stay a major leaguer for as long as these guys do and to stay successful. You know, Tommy John was almost done in 85, right, when he came to the eight. He couldn't, he couldn't strike anybody out. He couldn't get any out. He pitched three more years, quality years with the Yankees after that. Um, there's something to be said for that. Not even mentioning, there's a surgery named after him. I mean, he <laughs> changed the life of pitchers. Uh, talk about a contributor to the game. Has there been a more impactful contributor than Tommy John, having been the first to do that surgery? I mean, you think about it, you blow out your elbow, you're going to get a surgery, and it's named after you. Uh, I kind of think you're kind of impactful in the game's history. 100%. Yeah, I, I, I'm okay with Tommy John being a Hall of Famer. And we had him on the program. He talked about he has the most no decisions of any pitcher in the history of baseball. He literally could have won like 350 games. Yeah. No, it, it, it's true. And it has, for as long as he pitched, how effective he was, you know, yeah, he was a soft-tossing lefty for those last 15 years of his career. Last 15 years of his career. I mean, that just doesn't happen. Guys don't have careers like this anymore. It is really impressive when guys last as long as, as guys like both Tommy John and Jim Cott, who I think should also be a Hall of Famer. Jim Cott pitched a long time and was an unbelievable fielder winning 16 gold gloves. All right, we going to number 10? We're going to number 10, and we're going to start off with really it's a three-way tie, and it's the three guys who are pitching right now, and that's Manaya, Montas, and Bassett. Um, and why I'm putting them together is we've never seen anything like this in Oakland. The top strikeout per nine strikeouts per nine innings seasons in A's history are those three guys this season. Sean Manaya is averaging 10 strikeouts per nine innings. That is the highest in Oakland Athletics. That's, that's the highest in Athletics franchise history. We're talking all the way back to 1901. Uh, Frankie Montas is number two at 9.97 per nine. Chris Bassett is number three at 9.18. Uh, that's unbelievable. In fact, they are the only three pitchers in athletics franchise history with strikeouts per nine over nine. Uh, it is incredible. Now, yes, we are in a different strikeout era, right, where batters strike out at a much higher rate than they ever have before. Um, but still, to have three guys at the same time doing what these three, these three guys are doing, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of a, a sad statement about our game, right? Well, it's changed. Now, the, the 
three true outcomes and strikeouts, guys used to be embarrassed about striking out. And, you know, we've talked about this before, the two-strike approach, and but it really was. It was shameful to strike out. Now you're not giving up that third swing. You're swinging at the strike two pitch just as you would at the at the 0-0 pitch or the 0-1 pitch. It doesn't matter. So it doesn't have doesn't have that stigma. Striking out is not as bad as it used to be. But what's impressive about these three guys is Montas goes after it. He gets the strikeouts with the splitter, right? Manaya fastball slider, and Bass is the true mix. He'll go at you with any pitch to get the strikeout. Um, it's just unique, and that's why it's so – I hate to say it, it's sad that Bassett, the injury to Bassett has not come out for the last month and, and who knows when it comes back, how good he was and how those three guys at the top of the rotation, big difference, big difference not having Chris Bassett to go with the other two fellows. Number nine. Number nine is Jose Rio in 1986. Jose you know, Rio. Jose Rio in 86 was 21 years old. And he was part of the Ricky trade from the Yankees. He had originally came up with the Yankees when he was 19. He was a flamethrower. And we're talking back then where not every other guy was throwing 95-plus. 95-plus was a rarity. And Jose Rio was one of those guys. And he was—he looked taller and skinnier than he did. As he got older, he filled out a little bit more. This time he was more of a whippet. Uh, 176 strikeouts in his 39 games, 26 of them starts. He set the Oakland record with 16 strikeouts versus the Mariners on April 19th. His next start, he faced the Mariners again, struck out 14 more batters. 30 strikeouts in two games, still an Oakland record for, for over two games. He has a single game, the two-game record. Problem with Jose Rio, at that point, he was still wild. He walked over 100 guys in 86. But the A's had not seen such a young, flame-throwing right-hander like they saw in Jose Rio in 1986. Would you classify him as one of the worst guys to get away and come back and haunt you in a world series? Yeah. I mean, he made our list of guys that came back and haunted us. Um, and that was just making two starts and winning the MVP in 1990, but it was a brilliant trade, right? Dave's got Dave Parker and, and Dave Parker was what the A's needed. They needed that, that big left-handed thumper in their lineup to help split up McGuire and Conseco. And with his personality, he fit right in. And they go to the two World Series. A lot of that is because of Dave Parker. Um, he was just, man, Cobra. Fantastic player, fantastic personality. Just perfect for that age clubhouse. Another guy that should be in the Hall of Fame, by the way. Yeah, you know, those 70s, 80s sluggers, and there's some guys who just get kind of lost a little bit. Dave Parker shouldn't. I mean, you look at his RBI numbers with the Pirates and then with the Reds. The yes. Reds finished second a lot of years in a row. And Dave Parker led them and runs batted in every season he was there. He was just a run producer. You know, that for me is like, you know, I, I first start with sports for me started like in 79, 80. That's when I was like old enough to kind of remember stuff. Like I don't remember any of the 70s stuff. I was just too young. And Dave Parker was a dominant player. Dominant player. I mean, he was a, he was a five-tool guy, hit for average, hit for power, speed when he was younger. Uh, the throwing arm, I mean, you've seen the highlights of the 79 yeah. All-Star game, throwing guys out of the plate. He could do it all, and he had that swagger. Right? He had that personality. And it's just, he's Dave Parker. He wears a star David, right? Because he's a star and his name's David. What's better than that? And, I, you know, Will, Willie Stargell was kind of old at the time, but you remember how great he was, and they beat the Orioles in 79. That's, you know, that for me is when sports kind of starts. It was like, 
It was like the, the Steelers played the Rams. Remember Vince Ferragamo starting for oh, sure. the Rams? Yeah. My, my first ever Super Bowl party was uh, Raiders against the uh, Eagles. Yeah. Super Bowl 15. I love that Super Bowl. Going way back. All right, number eight. Number eight. We're going to go to the bullpen uh, for, for a few of these next ones. This is 2009. This is Michael Wirtz. Michael Wirtz, out of the pen in 2009, in 78 and two-thirds innings, 102 strikeouts. Over 100 strikeouts in relief. He had a devastating slider. And you think about Michael Wirtz, he wasn't a hard thrower. Right? His fastball was about 91. But the slider and the bite on the slider, and 65% of the time the slider was coming. And, it, you know, a lot of times one inning, it was nothing but sliders, but 102 Ks and only 78 two-thirds innings in relief. Wow. Yeah, I mean, those kind of numbers, that, that that's dominance right there. It is. And, and, you know, when you have a season where your pitch is just working, and we're going to talk about a guy coming up who kind of had the same sort of year, uh, it's just you can be devastating out there. You guys aren't going to touch you. Number seven. Number seven, this is kind of a bittersweet one. This is 2004, and this is Octavio Dotel. And I say it was bittersweet because coming to the end of the 2004 season, things did not go well for Dotel. But when they acquired him, they acquired him uh, you know, in June. They originally signed Arthur Rhodes to be the closer. That was a disaster. Uh, so part of a three-team deal that actually ended up with Carlos Beltran going to the Astros. He's got Octavio Dotel, somebody they had their eye on for a long time. And he was very, very good for the A's, except for the last week. Uh, 22 for 28 saves, struck out 72 and only 50 and two-thirds in it. You talk about strikeouts per nine, that's a 12.7 strikeouts per nine. Uh, he was what the A's needed. Now we go to the last week, and it just has a devastating blown save in Texas. Uh, the A's were about to go three games up on the Angels with 10 to go. And he blows the game in the ninth inning. You can still see Jermaine die, Jermaine die diving for a ball hit by David DeLucci down the right field line in Texas. I'm like, why is he diving? Why is he diving? And allowed a runner to score from first. I'm not bitter about this at all, believe me. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, they blow that game. Uh, they'll go up three with 10 to play. Instead, uh, the A's go four and six in the last 10. The Angels go seven and three. They win the division by a game. The Saturday, a must-win against the Angels. Dotel gives up the go-ahead single to Garrett Anderson, A's killer Garrett Anderson. But before that, before that, the strikeouts by Dotel is what you wanted out of a closer, a guy who just came out of the bullpen and struck everybody out. And what, it's, it's, it's he and Edwin Jackson. Have, don't they have the record for uh, most teams played for? Yeah, they're actually Mike Morgan, before mentioned, used to be with 12, and then Dotel – and uh, Ed Winter at 13, I believe. That's amazing. Can you imagine? I mean, you basically play for half the teams. Yeah, and yeah. I, I actually think it's pretty cool. I mean, you get to live in all these cities, and you get to you get to experience a, a lot of life in baseball. Yeah, and it means you're wanted. Right? Teams want you. Yes. There's, there's something good about that. Yeah, maybe you didn't make it home. Maybe you're not Mariano Rivera and you spent your whole year, the whole career with the Yankees. But you were wanted by a lot of different teams because you had a talent that those teams needed. All right, what are we on? We on number six? Number six, and this is a few years ago. This is 2018, and we talked about a guy whose pitch was just working for him. That was Blake Trinan in 2018. Uh, 100 strikeouts in 80 and a third inning. Could go with a .78 ERA. 
and the 158 opponent average, and only giving up two home runs. I mean, that 2018 season for Blake Trinan, when, again, his slider was working, right? And he could set it up with his fastball because he could throw everything for strikes. And guys were just – they couldn't hit it because he threw hard and the movement was spectacular. He was just a strikeout machine in 2018. What happened to him? Well, you know, he's kind of got it back with the Dodgers, especially pitching in more of a, a setup man role. Uh, it's not as consistent as 2018. But it's it's really good. He had a game against the Giants when they were in town, and he went one and two thirds, and he was untouchable. And that ball was moving again. I just think he has so much movement on his pitches. If it's just a little bit off, his release point's just a little bit off, it's not going to be a strike. Number five. Number five, we're going back to last year, one of the few times we'll mention a COVID-shortened season, but you have to. It's Liam Hendricks. Liam Hendricks last year, it's 25 and a third innings. He struck out 37. He struck out 40% of the batters he faced. That number is unreal. And he only walked three guys. So he's throwing strikes. He's giving you something to hit, and no one could hit it. 40% of the batters he struck out. Now, 2019, his strikeout numbers were off the charts, too. 124 strikeouts in 85 innings. Uh, 122 of those in relief, which is an A's relief record, but 40% of the batters he whiffed. Yeah, that's incredible. And he and, and he's not hiding anything. He's coming right after you, pitch after pitch after pitch. Yeah, he's giving you a chance. He's, here's my best stuff. He beat me with it, and guys don't beat him. Who's next? Number four. We're going back to some starters now, and there have only been four – 200-plus strikeout seasons in Oakland A's history. And uh, Barry Zito in 2001, not his Cy Young year, the year before, he had 205 strikeouts and 214 and a third innings in his 35 starts with 17 and 8. Uh, he had five games of 10 or more strikeouts, uh, 8.6 strikeouts per nine. Um, you look back at Barry Zito, he was so consistent with the A's. 34, 35 starts. Every season, 200 plus innings, 10 plus wins, 140 plus strikeouts. I mean, you could just write it down. That's how consistent Barry Zito was. But in that, his first full year in 2001, his curveball was off the charts that year as a strikeout pitch. Uh, guys just could not hit it. Even if you knew it was coming, you weren't going to hit it. Uh, Barry Zito, 205 Ks in 2001. That's number four. Number three. Dave Stewart in 1987. Uh, first full season as a starter. Remember, he was released in 86 by the Phillies. The A's bring him over. Had a good end of the year. Tony made him a starter. Uh, but 87, now it's clicking in. He made 37 starts, 261 innings, 205 strikeouts. The first of his four straight 20-win seasons. And, and I actually, yesterday, in the studios here at NBC Sports California, I asked Dave Stewart about his strikeouts. And I said, so what was your strikeout pitch? Was it the forkball? Because, you know, that's what he was known for, this other thing, yeah. forkball. And he looked at me like I was crazy. He goes, fastball. I got my strikeouts with fastball. And I started thinking about it, and he's right, because he used his forkball like a changeup. And that was the setup pitch. So he would get to two strikes with the forkball and then blow you away with the fastball, which we're not seeing different than Frankie Montas, who tries to strike you out with the splitter, right? Stu used the forkball to set up his fastball. 
Wow. Because, you know, when, when it, 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 obviously we were like all in high school at the time, but it, it wasn't like Stu threw 97 miles an hour. Stu was like a 92, 93 guy. I always, if you would have said to me, how did he strike guys out? I would have said it was the fork ball because he didn't use a split finger fastball. He did the traditional fork ball that he learned from Sandy Koufax. I would not say that Dave Stewart was a flamethrower, right? No. I mean, he had a nickname Smoke, which means he did throw hard. But no, he wasn't known as, you know, in the time of Nolan Ryan or J.R. Richard, right? One of these guys who was in the high 90s. No, he sat 92, 93. And it was so funny when I when I asked him about it yesterday and I brought up, you know, forkball, he gave me that stare. Give me that death stare. Like I'm like, oh what am what am I saying? But yeah, fastball. My strike fastball was my strikeout pitch. Oh, that is great stuff. And uh, you know, one truly one of the great big game pitchers of all time. Number two. And this is, you know, when when Captain Cody brought this subject up to me, I said, I get to talk about this guy. And that's Todd Stottlemyre. In 1995. Todd Stottlemyre? Listen, he had one of the best seasons for an A starting pitcher that nobody remembers, nobody even thinks about. He threw that year, 95, his only year with the A's, 209 and two thirds innings. He struck out 205. He was 14 and seven. He's the last A starter to go 10 innings in a game. And he did that against Kansas City in a game which he had 15 strikeouts. And this is where some of the bitterness is going to come out. So he's got two outs in the ninth. He's already struck out the first two at batters in the innings on three pitches each. It's a one nothing game. He is dealing. And Tom Goodwin comes up. Rookie Tom Goodwin, slap hitter, no power. This is going to be easy. Tom Goodwin jumps on the first pitch and hits his first career home run down the right field line, tying up the game with two outs in the top of the ninth. I can still see it. It's brutal. Sotomayor is about to put the, the, the ribbon on his on the great start. And Tom Goodwin, of all people, homers. Even worse, so Sotomayor pitches the 10th, strikes out two more batters. The A's fail to score. The A's end up losing the game late. But Todd Sotomayor, that 95 season, he was so good. And what, you know, we hadn't seen a 200-strikeout pitcher since Dave Stewart. And Dave, Todd Sotomayor able to get 205. One of the great post-game interactions in the history of the game, John Schrader and Todd Stolmeyer. Do you remember that? I do. I think you brought this up before. Yeah. It was he flipped, and, and John Schrader is the nicest man ever. I worked with him for years, and Stolmeyer freaked out on him. It's legendary. God, I, I remember that. And John Schreider is, I mean, I worked with John on the Tennessee the Earthquakes games. I've known him for a long time. Yeah. He is just the nicest guy. Salt of the earth guy from Nebraska. And yeah. now he's getting ripped on by Todd Stottlemyre. Yeah, he's, an, he's a professor at the University of Nebraska. But Todd Stottlemyre flipped out on him. It, we would play it all the time because it was like, this guy is a nut job. All right, number one. <laughs> number one, and out-distancing everybody as far as strikeouts. That's a fight of blue in 1971. And we talk about there only being four 200 strikeout seasons in Oakland history. Well, fight had 300. He had 301 strikeouts in 1971. He pitched 312 innings. Let's that sink in. 312 innings, 301 strikeouts. And oh, by the way, 
he didn't lead the league in either of those two categories. Mickey Lowlich had 308 strikeouts in 376 innings. Oh, my God. 370. He made Mickey Lowlich 45 starts. But Vida, that's the Cy Young MVP year, 24-8, and 1.82, 11 games with 10 or more strikeouts. Uh, the only athletics pitcher to have more strikeouts in a season was Rube Waddell. He just went into the Athletics Hall of Fame. Uh, 349 and 302 uh, back in the early aughts of 1900. And you look at Vida's year. He made the opening day start in Washington. They sort a one-game opening series against the Senators. And Vida Blue gets rocked. He only lasts an inning and two-thirds, gives up four runs. The A's come back to Oakland. Vida gets his next start. Shutout baseball. His next 11 starts, 10 and 0, 0. 0.96, 93 strikeouts in 94 innings. Uh, so that was unworldly. Then his last 27 starts of the year, 14 and 7, 2.16, 206 strikeouts. Uh, just, I mean, Vita Blue in 71 was was everything. And to think about a pitcher having 300 strikeouts and 300 innings. And we've had Vida on the program, and he talks about how I he was just throwing fastballs. Yeah, I mean he's just blowing people away. I mean it's it, it's I mean I, I wasn't even born yet, so I didn't see it. But I, I'm like, this guy was just you want to talk about dominance where you get on the mound and go, I'm throwing fastball every pitch. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, the Blue Blazer. You know, and, and Vida kind of introduced himself in '70 when he threw the new no hitter against Minnesota. A Minnesota team that had Harmon Killebrew and Rod Carew, Tony Oliva. I mean, you know, hit that team. Uh, you're you're doing some work, especially as a rookie. And then to be able to follow that up with that '71 season, where on the road, almost half the tickets bought to see a baseball game was to see Vita Blue pitch, and he was such an attraction. Um, he was he's Pepper Time Magazine. Uh, starting the All-Star game. And his Vita Blue was as big as a pitcher can be in 1971, and he backed it up. I mean, MVP and Cy Young. Yeah, most kids won't, won't, won't know this, but when you start talking about Sports Illustrated, Time Magazine, when you're the cover guy, it's a really big deal, and that's how big Vita Blue was. Buddy, great list. Thank you so much. We appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. Be safe. All right. Thanks, Townie. The great Vita Blue, Cody. 1971. Front of the program. Blowing, blowing everybody away. Where were you in 1971? Let's see. My dad would have been 11, so I wasn't even close to being born yet. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't born either. Um, but I do remember. He was pretty good and that remember, year. And remember, we had Vita on the program. He goes, I just threw fastballs. Yeah. Think about that. I mean, he just he just basically just said, I'm I'm gonna blow by everybody and did it for over three hundred innings. And now we talk about a pitcher who is pitched twenty starts. He's tired. Vita Blue threw over three hundred innings, and we're talking guys who have only played twenty times in a season being tired. Completely different game. It's 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 wild to see how many. I mean, some of the pit, the strikeouts and innings, and all that stuff. Like it's just if you go back and look. I mean, it's just crazy. Oh, oh my God, these guys. They didn't they, last year. They didn't play, and this year they've only gotten in. You know, don't tell Adam. Guys, 
Don't tell Adam Wainwright that. He doesn't care. This guy's, how old is Adam Wainwright? 40. <laughs> and how many starts does he have? Uh, he's at, uh, let me pull it. I think he's at 29. He's 40. He and has. He's at 29 starts. And we're talking about one of our guys having 20 starts and he stopped. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's Wainwright, real quick before we go. 16 and 7, 288 ERA, 29 starts, 190 in a third innings. He's second in the American or the National League in innings pitched. He's How second in baseball he? since How old is he? third. He's 40. He just turned 40 at the end of August. He's 40 years old, and he's going to have over 200 innings. And I'm talking about guys who are 26 and can barely play 20 times in a season. Are you kidding me? 20 times. That's all you got? Tom Brady, I keep bringing up Tom. He's 44 years old. How many how many games do you think Tom plays this year? Well, he's going to play every one and then the postseason. <laughs> so that's what, 20-something times? He's 44 years old. He's going to throw it 40-plus times a game, and he's going to get hammered by these monsters. And we got pitchers like, oh, my God, you did, this guy can barely go 20 times, play 20 times in a year. Are you I mean are you serious? It's 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 really different. I mean even from 5 years ago. It's really even different. Can you imagine a basketball player going, "Ah, we're going to we're only going to ask you to go 20 times a year." I was going to say 20 minutes. Well, that's what, that's what Steve Kerr does with his rotations. I don't know if you watch Warriors basketball, he only had the Celtics don't play that much. Can Steph Curry only play 20 games in a year? <laughs> Are you serious? Uh, yeah, well, not him, but other Warrior players only play 20 games, so he's hurt. Carl Malone, Carl Malone or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar used to play every game and every minute of the game. I, I hate to bring it up, but Marcus Simeon's played in every single Blue Jays game, and Salvador Perez has played in every game but one for the Royals. And how old are these guys? Mar- they're both in their 30s, and they're both MVP candidates. I wonder why. And then we got guys that we make excuses for them playing 20 times. It's only 20, 20 days out of the entire year, you got to play and you're tired. I mean, it's unbelievable. Well, Commander Cody, that was a good show. Yep. Shooty was yep. fantastic. And Feldy with the, the, the strikeout list. I'm glad I brought that up to him with the Montas and what Sean and I yep. are doing today. Really so uh, this will be my last show till next week. I'll be, I'm actually going to San Diego for a few days, so. Oh, must not not to see, hey not to see the Padres play because they stink. You're, you're like these guys; you barely play. Like you show up, you work a little bit, then you go on vacations. No one goes to more beach locations than Commander Cody. Well, I'm on in what seven? No, what three minutes? Yeah, you have about four minutes. All right, take care. Bye bye. This is Chris Townsend for my favorite golf course in the Bay Area, Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose, Cinnabar Hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in Silicon Valley. Come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant, plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views. Cinnabar Hills is far more than a golf course. One of the premier places in the Bay Area to host weddings and any type of events. There's no golf experience like Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.